Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Who sabotaged the Nord Stream pipelines? I speak to former CIA analyst Raymond McGovern and friend of investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch to shed more light on the topic. And from COVID origins to lethal support to Russia to so-called spy balloons, some media churning out a barrage of defamatory stories on China. We hear from experts on China-U.S. ties to unpack this apparent smear campaign. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Dixin. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. American Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hersh's revelation that the U.S. was behind the Nord Stream Pipeline's explosions was almost certainly true. This was the assessment by Ray McGovern, a former CIA analyst for 27 years. On 21st of February, McGovern was one of two people to testify before a UN Security Council meeting on the pipeline investigation. He even sang a song during his testimony. McGovern admits he's a longtime friend of Seymour Hersh, who, like all humans, can be mistaken, but compared to the White House and the CIA, who flatly rejected any involvement, Seymour Hersh has a much better reputation. I had the opportunity to talk to McGovern, who joined me online from North Carolina. I started by asking him how he finds Hersh's piece three weeks after it was posted online. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Well, it was and it remains a bombshell. The, the implications are incredibly important. Now, uh, I don't think that uh, even the Pope uh, is indisputably correct all the time. I don't think Colin Powell, as he claimed to be, was indisputably correct 20 years ago when he testified about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And I dare say, I, I think that uh, Cy Hirsch is human like the rest of us and could be mistaken. But this would be the first time for Cy Hirsch. <laughs> I know him quite well. Uh, so th there's a, a, a caveat there. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, but in a professional sense, I know. I know what he's revealed over the years, over five decades. And they've always been unimportant. Issues like this, correct. Why? Because he has an unimpeachable uh, record for protecting his sources. Uh, if you see him on recent interviews, he's very careful to share what he knows, but he's equally careful to protect his sources. And so sources come to him. They know that he will tell it straight, and they know that they have a really good chance of escaping detection. So. Bottom line, his story is almost certainly true. There may be a detail or so that uh, may not be true, but I expect others to come forward now. People who trained with those divers in the sea, who people who were on the same ships uh, during these escapades, people will come forward now because Cy Hirsch has had the courage to tell the story because somebody honest came to him and said, look, this is an act of war. You know, I swore 
an oath to protect or defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. This should not continue. Here's the story. Well, the Biden administration has categorically rejected his uh, expose, his piece, calling it uh, completely false. The CIA has also denied, basically the United States denied any involvement in the incident at all. How credible do you find their rebuttal? Well, the credibility has to be compared, Cy Hirsch on the one hand, and these spokespeople, spokespersons for the CIA, for the White House. Now, the spokesperson for the CIA right now, her name is Tammy Thorpe, and she dismissed this as completely untrue. And it brought me back to a very sad recollection of exactly, exactly 20 years ago, when someone gave Newsweek, that prominent magazine, the transcript of one of Hussein, Saddam Hussein's sons-in-law in charge of the missile, chemical, biological, and what there was of a nuclear program. He testified that they were all destroyed at my order. I was in charge of them for 10 years. Now, what did the CIA spokesperson at that time say? His name was Bill Harlow. He said, untrue, bogus, uh, just forget about it. Now, that was a month a whole month, four weeks before the U.S. and the U.K. attacked Iraq. What did our journalists do? They went up and they asked Bill Harlow, and he said what I just said. Oh, it's untrue, bogus, untrue. And say, they said, oh, wow, thanks for telling us, Bill. We were thinking of writing a story about this. So that's how bad it is. The transcript of this son-in-law's debriefing by the UN, by the US, and by the British was made available to Newsweek, documentary proof. So now, Cy Hirsch is not gonna have documentary proof, but he has sources, as I say, who know they'll be protected to the extent that they can be protected, and are telling, in my view, the, the truth in its gory detail to include act of war against against an ally, Germany, against Russia, with Norwegian involvement. It's quite a story. No wonder it's a bombshell, and no wonder most of the press is ignoring it. Yeah, you mentioned that most of the press is ignoring it. Uh, if you look at, you know, if you search the website of CNN, BBC, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, none of them... Uh, mentioned at all this expose from a Pulitzer Prize winning American journalist. And by the way, they are very interested in the Nord Stream explosions. They they carried multiple stories as to who might be the culprit. But before the expose came out, for instance, this uh, yeah. New York Times article I found uh, in December last year, where they had a very detailed analysis of who could possibly be behind the uh, North Street pipeline explosions, but all of a sudden, you know, collective blindness as if this piece never existed, as if Hirsch is, you know, nobody. And they didn't mention the UN Security Council meeting on the heels of this expose either. What happened? Why do you think they're silent? Well, I think they're silent for obvious reasons, but Jin, there, there is a, an exception to uh, the complete suppression of Hirsch's article, 
when I testified before the UN on Tuesday last week, uh, there was a report in the Washington Post of all places. And in the online version, they had a live link to Cy Hirsch's Substack article. Wow, that surprised me. Okay, I thought okay. that the competition being such that the New York Times would have to follow suit and 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 divulge this. They haven't yet. So this was perhaps an anomaly. But somebody at the Washington Post said, "Look, we can't completely ignore this. Let's put a live link so people can really see what it is that Cy Hirsch is saying." But uh, collective, you know, this is uh, unusual still, uh, given the speed, you know, the timeliness they claim that they put out stories that is of importance to the United States, to the world. They would jump on anything that's bombshell. For instance, if they hear something um, potentially implicating China, they they jump on it. Um, You know, this is happening all the time. And yet this is happening two weeks, at least two weeks after the Hirsch article came out. Um, How do you look at that? What could possibly explain that? Well, if there's something that they could jump on with respect to China, of course, with respect to Russia, even more so. Now, Jin, you may remember uh, that when the pipeline was blown up, the commentators on our major media, John Brennan, who comments now on our major media, was head of the CIA, General Jack Keane. Uh, well, Keane said, there's no evidence, but the Russians surely did it. Uh, what, what John Burden said, it was the Russians. It had to, it had to be the Russians. So, so finally, they're off that kick, but they can't possibly publish right now the gory details of how, in my view, and in Cy Hirsch's view, this thing was planned when executed. And curiously enough, if you look at the timing, we know, according to Cy Hirsch, that it was planned months before the detonation, uh, the end of September of last year. Why the end of September? Well, my guess is that two weeks before they blew it up, the Germans were talking to the Russians about some way around the sanctions. Uh, Couldn't we make some sort of a deal so we don't freeze this winter so that our industry can survive? And the U.S. knew that, and the go-ahead was given at that point. In in reality, uh, one pipeline survived. It's going to be interesting to see if that is rebuilt. What do you make of the fact that uh, the Russian company is uh, maneuvering to repair the pipelines? I mean, if uh, they would be the one who destroyed it, um, why would they do that? You know, they spent (laughs) hundreds of millions. They they would have to. Well, it was $11 billion project. Uh, Why the the Russians would shoot themselves in their own foot, why they would deprive themselves of this leverage over Europe is something that's very, very hard. Actually, it's impossible to explain. That's why the Russians... Actually, there was an article in the New York Times for for, for really kind of... uh, Amazing that times would do this, but the, the, the story ran that all the intelligence services of the West uh, have ruled out now that it was the Russians. I guess it was too much a stretch for the imagination, even for the major media to say the Russians would shoot themselves in in their own foot. And would they then repair the line, uh, lest it be sabotaged again? I, you know, it strains credulity that the Russians were behind it. 
You were at the meeting and uh, you obviously sat there and listened to the U.S.'s rebuttal to the Russian remarks and, of course, to your remarks and to the remark of uh, uh, Professor Jeffrey Sachs as well. Well, the United States said, the, the representative said that it's completely false, that the United States was not involved at all. What do you make of that? What was your impression sitting there listening to the American representative speaking, um, calling this very important investigation and an effort uh, to divert attention from the war one year on. Professor Jeffrey Sachs, on the other hand, told it like it is. He's an amazing person. He said, look, the Swedes have been investigating this since the beginning. They went down and they inspected things and they did a thorough job. I'm sure they have that capability. But what did they say after the investigation? We can't tell you. We can't tell you. It's a secret. We're not going to tell the Swedish people. We're not going to tell Germany. We're not going to tell them because it's a national security problem. <laughs> Come on, you know. You, the idea was that the Russian representative wanted to point out, look, if the Security Council of the UN is worth anything at all, this is an international sabotage event that has to be has to be investigated by somebody that can pretend to a, a degree of of objectivity, okay? And the last thing I'll say is that the Germans just Saturday uh, have finally woken up 50,000 demonstrators in Berlin against further provision of arms to Ukraine, 50,000. So what are they going to ask Chancellor Scholz? Uh, they're gonna ask him this. Scholz is standing at the next podium to President Biden on the 7th of February last year. Biden says, we can stop the Nord Stream pipeline, and we will, okay? The questioner, the correspondent who asked the questions, turns to Schultz in a perfect German. She asks him, what do you say about this? And he says, we do everything together. Uh, there's nothing we do that we don't do together. Okay, so I think the German people are about to ask Chancellor Schultz, did you do this together? Did Joe Biden tell you that they had the capability and could at any time blow up that pipeline? And did you acquiesce in that? Or was it a big surprise? This is a big question. Herr Schulz, please give us the answer. It's very embarrassing for the Germans. We just had this, you know, ludicrous um spy balloon hype that you have <laughs> you have witnessed even some in america are finding it quite uh laughable how do you look at the whole hype and and by calling it the chinese spy balloon even when intelligence officials are still you know studying accessing the possibility that these could be accidental you know that they 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 ventured into the US airspace by calling these spy balloons already day in and day out repeating such phrase what what is that to the american psyche well unfortunately uh, americans don't remember french and neither do the people running our policy force majeure okay that that's translated as wind okay <laughs> when china said the wind blew this thing it's a force barrier. We can't control acts of nature. Okay. Now, people either didn't understand that or, you know, said, well, no, no, we, we want to believe the propaganda that this is some sort of insidious Chinese action. So we're left again with 
the American people at the mercy of people on CNN, people on all the other uh, network as well as cable um, uh, broadcast and other networks. And so what are they to think? Well, Americans are hard pressed now. Many people have two jobs, three jobs. Sometimes they go home, they put their feet up on the table, they feed the kids, and then they, what do they do? They watch Fox News, for God's sake. Uh, do they have time to, to read any of the alternative media where we tell the truth? No, they don't have time to do that. They'd have to look for it. And that is a really, really troublesome situation. Former CIA analyst Ray McGovern. We'll take a short break. When we come back, the COVID origins, spy balloons and lethal aid to Russia. Western media has no shortage of uh, defamatory stories on China. We hear from experts uh, to unpack the purpose of this apparent smear campaign. Stay with us. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Is there a defamation campaign on international mainstream media against China. Reporting on China has a track record of negativity, but things seem to be reaching new lows over the past few years. The most recent example being the origin of COVID-19, a stale dish, on top of a series of accusatory stories, the so-called spy balloons, the pending provision of lethal weapons to Russia and the collection of information via TikTok all without convincing evidence. How much is this a spontaneous phenomenon? Is there a deliberate propaganda war heating up against China? If so, what's the objective and how can people be better informed when they're living under the media hegemony of the few big names? I'm pleased to be joined from Shanghai by Professor Huang Jing, University Professor and Director of the Institute of the U.S. and Pacific Studies at Shanghai International Studies University and from Massachusetts, the U.S. by Professor Robert Ross, Department of Political Science at Boston College. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. So, um, Professor Huang, let me go to you. As I said, negative stories are almost off the charts, one would feel, especially since the uh, COVID broke out. Um, there is no, sh definitely no shortage. And uh, if you look at any story, most likely there is a negative twist. Why is that? And what do you think is behind this increasing favorable uh, coverage of China? Yes, it's very frustrating at uh, reading all the mainstream uh, report on China uh, outside the United States. It's very negative. It is indeed uh, consciously, consciously or not a kind of demonstrating China by all means. And I think that what's behind it is number one, this ideological or political correctness, saying that whatever China is doing is wrong because China is on the wrong side of history. And second, I think there is a kind of conscious or subconscious arrogance uh, behind it, saying that I'm right, you're absolutely wrong. And last uh, but not the least, of course, there is a bias. Uh, the bias uh, is uh, a bit complicated, but if I have to uh, you know, mention one single factor about this bias, is, is this um, uh, political correctness, uh, saying whatever you do, if you're not on my side, you're absolutely wrong, so I'm entitled or even kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of mission to describe China as as a dark place, as a source of the problems. Mm. But as, in, as a matter of fact, you know, we're living in a world that is very different. 
Yeah. Professor Ross, what is your opinion to this question? And also, uh, what could be the consequence of such a phenomenon, whether it is a conscious, coordinated campaign or just, you know, what happened when you have uh, a myriad of very deep ideological bias and, uh, you know, invested interest or ma manipulation by some? Well, first, I think it would be a mistake to assume the United States is the only country with negative reportage on the other. After all, we're all accustomed to people's daily and Hong Chi and Xinhua talking about American hegemonism and capitalism for the last, ever since 1949, it's never changed. So that both sides are wrapped up in images of the other that are not particularly helpful. Um, and you talk about the monopoly or the single voice of the American media, nothing can compare to the single voice of Xinhua or the Chinese Information Office of the Chinese Communist Party. So that's, you know, a larger context. Now, yes, the United States is, of course, concerned about the rise of China, any country would, and China has a policy of challenging American coalitions, American alliances, and it's been working very hard to undermine American ability to cooperate with Europe um, regarding China and elsewhere. And so when the United States sees China trying to um, drive a wedge, if you will, to the United States and, and, and Europe, it tends to come out with some negative reportage on China, much the way the United States has had um, reported negatively in the Chinese media on, say, a relations with the Philippines or South Korea. Um, so there's a, a, if you will, a, a, a battle going on between these two countries that very much reflects the, um, the bipolar competition between the rising power and the status quo power. It's quite unfortunate, I would agree, because it, it undermines the ability of people in both countries to have an informed understanding of the relationship um, rather than having um, both countries' leaders take the lead in leading their people towards certain conclusions rather than allowing them to think for themselves. Professor Huang, what is your reaction to Professor Ross's uh, remarks? I agree with him. I think this is kind of what we call the mirror effect. That is, both sides try to, you know, take the other side, not as an enemy, but as kind of uh, a target of uh, negative uh, descriptions. I, this reminds me of in the 1980s or 1990s. I think if you, neither you, either you read the Chinese media or read American reportage, there's some beautiful or positive sense that talk about each other, but that, that now this kind of sense totally disappeared. Indeed, I think that uh, the Western media, mainstream media, demonized China, but if you look at the Chinese uh, report, it's also uh, quite uh, negative on so, the United States. So here, here's but the... What, what I have to argue here is that is that who initiated this first. I think it's all initiated by Donald Trump's administration. After that, it's just going down. Uh, down well, if you talk about, like, yeah, if you talk about uh, earlier times, like uh, what Professor Ross just mentioned, I mean, China was not the one who went and, uh, you know, um, provided uh, weapons or fueled the civil war or, you know, try to take part of, uh, in part of the pie from China. China was on the defending side, Mr. Ross. Well, I think, well, Huang Jing makes an important point. You know, you, you attack someone and you would expect someone right, to fight you, back. You, uh, I think you asked me a question, so yes. let me answer it here. Yes. Um, I think uh, Professor Huang Jing made an important point about the Trump administration. 
so that if you're trying to find when the United States first began to see the rise of China as a problem, begin to adopt policies to resist the rise of China in a very proactive way, it would be the Trump administration. And there are various policies the United States adopted beginning in about 2017, 2018 in particular, and that would include our trade policies, our tech policies, our trade, our relationship with Taiwan. And they're all designed, if you will, to maintain the status quo of American security, because as China rises, it necessarily challenges the status quo. And it necessarily challenges. So it is justified for the media to go very negative on China without uh, uh, substance, without I, uh, evidence. I don't, I don't. I don't think I said that. Um, the question was, uh, well, what I was trying to explain is, is, is what in both countries there's a tendency of the monopolization of the media, or the I shouldn't say that the single voice of the media to have negative views of the other. Let's not go back too far if, them not, if the media in the, in the West, not since the Trump time, step up the kind of attacks, accusations, lies about China. You wouldn't see China being so angry and uh, ratcheting up its rhetoric as well. Professor Huang, let me, let me yeah, give the parallel to you. I think that, yes, there are something that is, uh, the report is not complete, at least it's incomplete. Sometimes we say the incomplete story is even worse than lies. And also there's out and out lies. And uh, I realized, for example, almost, uh, 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 you know, ac uh, accusation about Xinjiang and so on and so forth. Yes, there are some bad policies, raw policies adopted by Chinese government against that area. But it's a far cry from so-called genocide and so forth, so on so forth. And also on the Hong Kong issue, of course, the same demonstration or violent demonstration happening in any major cities in the West, that would be dealt very, very harshly. But in China, it, it has become a kind of human right. This kind of, I think, misleading or even distorted report, or even out of simply out of the makeup stories, that is, I think that has a very bad effect on the Chinese people in general. Yeah, I remember I wanted, when I was yeah. young, there was very positive uh, thinking about United States, but now that can all negative. I think that's really bad. Okay, well, the, the global uh, audience is sharing similar views, huh? according to latest data that I checked uh, just now. Uh, global trust in mainstream media in the United States and the UK have fallen, and people should ask why. Well, with that, we come to the end of this discussion. I must thank Professor Robert Ross from Boston College and Professor Huang Jing from Shanghai International Studies University. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show. With that, we come to the end of this live discussion on CGTN from The Point with me, Lushin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lushin in Beijing. You've got the point.